Hey, open your Bibles with me to two places. Uh, the first is Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And then find your place in Acts chapter 2. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. They're not too far apart. We are in week two of a series that we're calling The Great Investment. If you missed last weekend, I would encourage you to go back online and listen to that message. But if you did, don't worry. This one's still going to have application to you. Let me just say at the onset that I'm going to do something today that we don't do in this level of detail very often in the church. And Honestly, we should. So let me tell you where I'm headed today. First, I want to give you some information about the finances of the church. But then I want to move pretty quickly to talking about your finances and my finances personally. And let me just say why I want to start with the church. is because as I've been praying about this series and, and thinking about you, the listener, <laughs> I realize that not everybody has the same perspective on finances and, and on money in the church. And, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, just completely transparent here. I am totally comfortable talking about money in the church, but that comes from the fact that I've been in full-time ministry for over 18 years, as I said, and I've been a part of the church my whole life. Not only that, I'm a PK. So some of you don't know what that means. That means I'm a preacher's kid. All right, so I've been, I've been around church, in the church my whole life. I don't have any problem talking about money in the church because I, I think I have a biblical perspective on it. But I also understand this. There's a lot of pushback when you talk about money in the church. Not everybody has my perspective. Maybe even some of you that are listening to this message, uh, you're already going like, oh, man, you know, where are we going with this? Here? Listen, I want to I give you a biblical foundation based on the word of God today that has to do with our finances. But before we talk about our finances, let me just say a couple things about the church. Again, to some of you, this is going to sound so obvious and common sense, but others, maybe it's not common because nobody's explained it. It might be simple, but it's not common knowledge. So let me just say the church operates on a budget, okay? We operate on a budget and every bit of the money in that budget comes from the provisions of the people in the church. What I mean in saying that is the church doesn't get government funding, certainly. Uh, the, the church doesn't get funding from a, a denominational oversight. In fact, the very opposite is true in our church. We're an assembly of God church. And so the power of the church is at the local level. And so what we do is financially we support our district and our national offices with our resources, and they, they resource us with ministry opportunities like the youth convention that we're going to be taking the students to in a few weeks, and like the retreat that our kids are going on uh, in just a few days. But the provision of the money doesn't flow from outside in. It flows from within the church. It flows from the people. <coughs> Let me say this. The bills that we pay, the light bill, the heat bill, it's paid through the offerings, like the offering we just collected a moment ago. The salaries for the staff are paid through the giving of the people of God. Now, I can't speak for every church on this one, but let me speak for our church, because I think this is 
important. The salaries for the staff, it's just that. It's a salary. It's not a percentage. So what that means is if all the people in the church or even half of you just decided, you know, we're, we're not going to give anymore, that would mean our, our board of directors would have to have a quick, important meeting to, to adjust the salaries because they wouldn't be able to, to pay them the way they're paying them. But it also means that you can know, since we're not earning money on a percentage, that my motivation for coming to the platform to talk about money on any giving Sunday is not because I'm hoping that next weekend I'm going to get a bigger check. See, it doesn't work that way. I don't get more next week because you gave more. It doesn't work that way. And so I think that's important that you know that. I also think it's, it's pretty important that you understand we have a finance committee that handles the offerings that come in. You know, very rarely do I ever actually see what individuals give. And that ought to make you breathe a little sigh of relief because you can know this morning that when I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to you. You know what I'm saying? You know, we get in church and you get on a topic and you're going, did you talk to him this week? Is he, is he talking? Is he look, why does he keep looking at me? Look, I'm not looking at you because I'm talking about your specific finances. I don't know your situation. But I do believe this is an important thing for us to address in the local church. And, and here's what I want you to understand about the church's finances. That everything that God does financially through the local church begins the starting place. The genesis for that work is the heart of the individual people in the church. That's important that we understand that. That everything that God's going to do through us as a church, as a body. And I'm talking about an organization. The church is people. It's an organism. The church is people. And everything that he does through us collectively begins with what he does individually in our hearts. And so it matters for the sake of the work that God is doing in the church, how you handle your personal finances, how I handle my personal finances. It matters because everything God wants to do through us begins with what he wants to do in me and in you. Now, I doubt that any of you lost any sleep this week worrying about the church's finances. <laughs> it's your own that stresses you out, right? It's my own that stresses me out. So we're going to spend the majority of time talking about our own lives as individuals but I want to give you this foundation. And, and let me say this. Everything that I'm talking about God doing through the church has always been that way from the very beginning. If you have your place there in Acts chapter 2, let me show you a couple verses. Because this is the birthday of the church. It's, it's the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the grave. He's ascended back to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And in this moment, there's manifestations of the Spirit's power. Some of them are, are visual. It says that they witnessed in that moment like fire, tongues of fire came down and, and sat upon everyone's head. There was audible uh, witnesses. There, they heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There, there were... Uh, other audible and even uh, biological manifestations. The Bible says that the people that were in the upper room began to speak with languages they had never spoken before. And all those things are, are like just the kiss of heaven on the moment to say, I'm establishing the church. We're starting this thing. But can I tell you, there were some other things that happened on the birthday of the church as well. Look with me at verse 42. In Acts chapter 2, I want you to see some of the things that God did in that moment, on that day, 
Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves, talking about the church, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That little paragraph is it's a snapshot of what the church ought to look like. We ought, we're still a, a Book of Acts church. We're still a Pentecostal church. Jesus only started one church. This is it. And we're looking at the blueprint that the people began to come together because of what God was doing individually in their heart. There was a spirit of generosity. People began to sell possessions and, and they, they shared things. And uh, the spirit of God was witnessing there as they ate together and fellowship together and studied the word of God together. Miracles and signs began to be performed. But it all begins in verse 42, the first verse I read. It all begins with these words. They devoted themselves. Never was it God's intention that someone would stand up front and demand of the people. No, that's not the way the Spirit works. The way the Spirit works is He does a work in you. And in you, and in you, and in me. And they, we, devote ourselves to fully be committed. And as we do that, and as all the, the life of the church begins to grow out of the work God's doing in each individual heart, we see the Lord added daily to their number, those who were being saved. So if everything that God does through the church begins with what God is doing in the individual's heart, then the question that begs to be answered is, what does God want to do in our individual hearts. And that's where I want to spend the majority of our time today in the Word. And let me just say, at the onset, if you're a note taker, you can start here. The starting place of obedience with our money is tithing. I want to speak to that today. Last week I said this, God's provision always, always is tied to God's purpose. So God has things he wants to do, and his provision is always tied to that purpose. He told Abraham, I've blessed you to be a blessing. We also said last week that every promise from God comes with a premise. In other words, for everything that God says he will do, there's something he requires of you. And the Bible is full of, of promises that God has made about our finances, about how God can meet our needs, about how God can supply I could, just, I could just preach you happy today, honestly, if I just talked about the promises. The Bible's chock full of promises from God about our finances. But every promise has a premise. And, and I want to just take you to one of them. It's in Malachi chapter 3. And I want you to see what God says he will do, his promise to the people. And what he asks of us individually. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, remember, this is an an agrarian culture here. And so if you're not a farmer, you need to kind of apply that to your own resources so you're not praying that God doesn't cause the fruit to drop off the vine prematurely or the crops to fail. But you understand he's talking about your provision. And God blesses our faithfulness in two ways, it says. Two ways. One is I will pour out. In fact, he said, test me in this. God doesn't say test me too often. He says, test me in this. And see if I will not pour out blessing on your life. That's the way that God wants to bless you. He wants to pour out resources and blessing on your life. The second way is he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I'll prevent it. So the promise is this. I'm going to pour out and I'm going to prevent. How many of you know we need God's uh, abundant blessing in our lives? We need him to pour out blessing upon us. We just prayed earlier in the service for miracles. Let me tell you what you've probably already figured out. I can't give you a miracle. If I could, I would. We need God to pour out what we don't have. We need his resources. And he says, this is one of the blessings I have for you. I'm going to pour out. But can I tell you, he's also working on the other end of the story. The Bible says that he will prevent. We need God's preventative blessings as well. It's not just, God, what can you give me? It's, God, what can you keep me from? I mean, we saw the news this week as another tragedy unfolds on the front pages of uh, students being massacred in the halls of their schools. And when I see stuff like that, I I cling tighter to the promises of God. Because I recognize in that moment that there's nothing that those parents could have done to protect their kids. And I'm no different. I'm not going to crawl under a rock somewhere and live by fear. No, I'm going to double down on the promises of God and say, God, I need you to prevent destruction in my family. I need you to bless my family. I need you to keep my children under the shelter of the Most High. I need His preventative blessing. But every promise has a premise. And and the premise is found in the first verse that we read there, verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. There's a testimony that's attached to this promise. It it says in, in verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Can I tell you the blessing of God is going to come with a testimony. And who's going to testify? The church? No, that's not what he says. He says all the nations, those people that that are outside of this covenant relationship, those people that are not God's people, they're they're going to speak blessing. They're going to say you're blessed. Why? Because God is pouring in provision and he's preventing destruction in your life. He said they're going to call you blessed. Now, he didn't say they're going to call you wealthy. He didn't say they're going to call you rich. It's not what he's talking about. We're talking about the favor of God being on your life. Now I want to talk about this 
this word here that we've looked at a couple times already, tithing. It's not an unfamiliar word to you if you're a part of the church, but I want to give you some biblical foundation here because, uh, again, you, you may be a person and you say, man, I, I've been just, it, it's so habitual for me. I just, I give to God first. I've done it for years. And others for you, 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 would, you would push back from that skeptically. And I, I want to just get you to, to not lean into me today. I want to just lean with you into what the word says. First of all, I want you to know tithing is God's will for you. I truly believe that. And I'm going to explain why. First of all, tithing is taught clearly in the law. In fact, there's, there's no skeptics out there that would argue that point. You can see it clearly in scripture. Tithing is taught. We read it in Malachi. Let me give you one more verse. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, now let me just play devil's advocate for just a moment. There's a lot of people that would say this about the tithe. They would say, yeah, but that's Old Testament law. What you just read, it's in the Bible, but it's Old Testament law, and and we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore. Uh, We have a new covenant with Jesus, and so that doesn't apply to our lives. And and for those that would say that, and maybe you've heard that before, uh, and, and You've taken that line maybe yourself. Let me just walk you through the word this morning for a few moments about this. To those that would say tithing is not for today, I would say first of all that that tithing predates the law. So if we're talking new covenant, old covenant, when you talk about the law, we're talking about the commandments that God gave to Moses. He went up on Mount Sinai. God spoke to him. He established a law. He established order for this community of faith that Moses was leading towards the promised land. But God's command about tithing goes way beyond that. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, New Testament, tells a story about Abraham. That you may know Abraham is called the father of our faith. He lived way before Moses and the law. Hebrews 7 tells us a story that happened in the life of Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 14, first book of the Bible. In Genesis 14, the Bible describes a scene where Abraham goes out to war and he takes the, the, the spoils, the plunder from all of the enemies. And so he's, he's grown wealthy because of winning this victory. And then the Bible says that he brought a tithe to Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek comes on the scene in Genesis 14, and he's described as the king of righteousness and the king of peace. There's no record of his lineage. He has no beginning and no end. He is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to tell you why that story is important and why it should matter to us living in the new covenant today. Because one, it communicates that the tithe was established through the father of our faith, Abraham, way before the Old Covenant. So if, if it's a newer Old Covenant thing, that, that's not really a part of the conversation anymore. But even more significantly, I believe, is that Hebrews tells us that Jesus, our Savior, is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what does that mean? That means because there was law in the Old Covenant, 
that the priest had to be a Levite from the tribe of Levi. That's why we call it the Levitical priesthood. Moses' brother Aaron was the first high priest. And so Hebrews writes and says, Jesus is not a high priest according to the Old Testament law. Jesus wasn't a Levite. He was, he was from the tribe of Judah. And so it says in verse 16 of Hebrews 7, it's talking about Jesus. It says, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulations as to his ancestry, in other words, not a Levite, that's not why he's a priest, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Look at the next verse. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's talking about Jesus, and it says this multiple times in the word of God, that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The next verse goes on to say the former regulations, talking about the old law, is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect. To the person that would say, we don't live under the old law, I would say, amen. It's been set aside. It's weak and useless. Why would we want to live under that law? He goes on and says, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Aren't you glad today that we have a better hope, that we can draw near to God through the blood of Jesus? Amen. Amen. That's what he's talking about. In the old covenant, they had to trust a priest to go and to sacrifice an animal and to atone for the sins of the people so that they could be acceptable in God's sight. Still couldn't come near. Only the priest could come near. But at least they were accepted for a year. And then it would start all over again. But the word and the message of the whole book of Hebrews is simply this. We have a better covenant. We draw near to God today. Through worship, through the blood of Jesus, we have access to come into his very presence. Now, let me tell you what all this says. First of all, it means we have a better covenant. It means we're better off with Christ as our Savior and the cross behind us instead of before us. But it also says this. It communicates to us that the tithe is a part of the new covenant in Christ because the tithe was not established in the old covenant priesthood. It was established under the priesthood of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5, Hebrews 7, they both emphasize that Jesus is a priest forever in this order. Secondly, let me just tell you, if there's pushback about what does the Bible say about tithe, let's ask the question, what does Jesus say about tithe? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said we should tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he's dealing with the religious people of the day who, though they were in the New Testament, they were living in the Old Covenant. They still felt like following all these rules and rituals was the way to get favor with God. And he's speaking to them and he addresses them in verse 23 and he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Can I just stop here and say this is important that we grab a hold of because within this, what Jesus is saying is you giving an offering 
is not going to get you favor with God. Don't make the mistake of thinking, you know, I don't really have to serve God. I don't have to give my life to God. I don't really have to, to, to follow God in all my ways. I just need to faithfully support the church. I mean, that's what this is about today, right? We're going to just try to encourage everybody to support the church. Wrong. Wrong. No, Jesus is saying, look, you, you can do all that stuff. You can give all that tithe. But if your heart is not right, you have missed it, buddy. See, God, and I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. God cares more about your heart than your wallet. Talking about the issues of of life, that all of life is about stewardship. And so Jesus says that you're doing all the tithe stuff. But if you're not loving justice and mercy and faithfulness. And then here's what he says at the end of that verse. You should have practiced the latter. Justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former, the tithe. The word he used is tenth in this translation. If you have a different translation, maybe the word is tithe. The reason is because those words are perfectly synonymous. The word tithe means 10%, which means it's a farce for someone to say, I tithe 3% of my income. That's that's not possible. You don't tithe 3% of your income. A tithe means a tenth. That's just what the word means. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? You should have kept tithing, but you should have also committed the rest of your heart and life to God. Let me just say, here's my conviction. Our, Our response, our generosity ought to exceed the Old Testament Minimum requirement. I mean, if the tithe was the command under the old covenant, and we've got a better covenant, then I think the tithe is a starting place. At minimum, it's a, it's a place where we begin with God. Here, maybe this is the question that's rolling around in some people's minds. I'm just going to ask it and put it out there. Pastor, do you think that if I don't tithe, that I'm disobeying God, His will for my life? I'm, I'm just, can I just say, in love, in this area of your life? Yes. Yeah, I'm fully convinced. In this area of your life, that you're missing the will and the plan and the purpose of God for what He wants to do in you for His work through us. In fact, God said it even harder than I just said it in Malachi 3. Look at verse 8. Malachi 3.8 says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. See, I, I believe tithing to the local church is God's will for every Christian. Now, now let me explain why. Because tithing, first of all, is a test. This is why I believe it's God's will for every every believer. It's a test. Now, let me just, in in a full disclosure here, let me just say this about me. If you took all the left-brain people in the room, those that, like, took algebra and trigonometry and and all the advanced math classes and people that excelled in science, you know, left-brain people, and you put all them on this side of the room... And then you take the people that that really did good in creative writing and art 
and you put them on this side of the room, can I tell you, I'm probably leaning against this wall over here, okay? So as far as personality and, and, and things that, that I'm excelling, I would, I would not ever try to pit myself as a person that is an expert in finances. Oh, I, I don't enjoy doing it. I don't enjoy doing it. I, I dread handling budgets and finances and, and doing taxes. But here's what I know, and this is why this matters. I know that all of life, all of my life, is a stewardship test because I own nothing. He owns it all. I'm a manager. You're a manager. And everything that we have that God has given to us will give an account for. I understand what Jesus meant when he said, a man cannot have two masters. There are things that want to master me, and God wants to unlock us from enslavement to money. What I'm talking about is a pathway to freedom. When we walk according to the premise, we get the promise. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, he gives us a story of what the kingdom of God looks like. We won't turn there, but let me just give you the synopsis. There's a wealthy owner who gives five bags of gold to one of his servants. He gives two bags of gold to another servant, and he gives one bag of gold to the third servant, and he leaves to go to a far country. And when he comes back, he asks them to give an account for what they've been given. Again, we're talking about what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus says to the one who was given five bags of gold, that man invested it, turned it into a prophet, and said, look, master, i got ten bags of gold now. The one who had two bags invested it, turned it into a prophet, and said, look, I have four now. But the one who was given just one bag of gold, the Bible says he hid it, he buried it, he did nothing with it. But I want you to hear the words that the master said to those two servants that were good stewards of what God had given them. Here's what it says in Matthew 25, verse 23. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And Jesus said, this is a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. That you don't own anything. You're a steward of everything. And one day you're going to stand before God. And your ambition and my ambition should be to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. What have you done with what I gave you? That's the question you have to deal with. What have you done with what I gave you? And can I tell you the good news? You don't ever have to give an account for what you didn't have. You don't ever have to... Acknowledge before God why you didn't do more with resources he didn't give you. No. It's a, it's, a fair, it's a fair ask when he says, what did you do with what I gave you? The Bible says in Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So what we're talking about is understanding that everything we have comes from God. See, the question is not how much of my money should I give back to God. The real question is how much of God's money should I keep for myself? When I understand that everything is His, Haggai 2.8 says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Let me give you another principle here. 
why we ought to be committed to tithing. Because faithfulness in tithing permits the Lord's work to be fulfilled in the church. As I said in the beginning, everything God wants to do through the local church begins through the individual believer. And so when we commit to tithe, we are making possible God's will through the church. That's why Malachi 3.10, the verse we read at the beginning, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. In other words, we need to resource the work of God. That's the purpose of tithing. I, I read a stat this week. It was fascinating to me. If every person sitting in an American church today, every person sitting in an American church today would give 10% of their income back to God, according to the scriptures, we could add $85.5 billion to ministries around the world every year. If every Christian just lived by God's economic plan, today we would have enough resources to feed every child in Africa for life. Think he knows what he's doing? Let me tell you another reason you ought to tithe. Because tithing causes your faith to grow. It causes your faith to grow. See, the Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, here's the reality. You can be insincere in worship and you can fake it. You can be inauthentic in your prayers and you can fake it. But you can't fake giving. Like you, you either give or you don't. And so giving is a great indication of our heart. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, what you invest in the most, what matters the most, that is what's in your heart. See, tithing is not really about giving 10% of your money back to God. It's about giving 100% of your heart to God. Because he's interested in your heart, not your wallet. That's why the tithe is called the, the first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 says, bring, uh, honor the Lord with the wealth, with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. See, the tithe is not just a 10%. It's the first fruits. It's the first 10%. Why does that matter? And this is how your faith grows. It matters because when you say, I'm going to put God first, I'm not going to just like pay all the bills and and, and, and then see what I have left. No, I'm going to put God first. That's a step of faith. That's a moment where you say, God, I'm coming to you with the tithe. Because I believe the promises of your word can be activated in my life. And I'm trusting you to meet my needs. I'm not, I'm not making sure everything's covered before I come to you with the offering. No, God, I'm putting you first. Matthew 6.33, seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added. So listen, tithing is not just about giving to God. It's about prioritizing God in your heart and in your life and coming to him first. There's a deeper spiritual principle that God wants to teach us about giving. When we give to God first, what we're really saying is, God, I trust you to be able to do more with the 90% that I have left than I could have done as the steward of the whole 100%. 
That's what we're saying when we say, God, I'm putting you first with my tithe. Instead of living by fear and hoping there's enough, we live by faith. We put faith out front. We say, God, I'm believing in you. I'm trusting in you. I'm doing this, Lord, because I walk by faith and not by sight. And it, it, again, it's a walk of obedience. Now, now, let me give you something really practical that you can take with you. Because this message, it, it needs to be able to flesh out in your life. I want to say some things uh, here at the conclusion of this message that, well, some of this I don't think I've ever heard said in church before. Not, not saying it hasn't been. I just don't know that I've heard this said before. But I think this is important. Let me give you some practical suggestions for beginning to tithe or to increase your giving beyond the tithe. First of all, just settle the matter in your heart. I mean, just settle the matter. There's always going to be skeptics. There are always going to be opinions. There's always going to be people that are going to talk to you. You just make up your mind. This is a spiritual discipline, and, and discipline means discipline. You just got to make up your mind and say, I'm, I'm going to do this. This is not emotion-based. It's not feeling-based. This is just me making up my mind. To allow God to establish my life around the pattern of his word. Understand this too. That because tithe means 10%. Never let anyone or the devil or yourself disqualify your gift. Saying it's too small. Or that it's too large. Because it's an even standard. At 10% it grows or decreases according to your resources that God has given you. That's why he's, he asked for a tithe. And not a specific amount. You know, I, I read a story years ago about Jack Hayford. He's an incredible pastor of pastors. Jack Hayford's in his 80s now. But when he was five years old, he got his first allowance. Ten cents. And instead of giving his son a dime, Jack's dad gave him a nickel and five pennies. And then he set him down and he opened up the word of God and he taught him about the tithes. He taught him what the Lord requires and he, and he talked about the spiritual disciplines of tithing. And, he, and Jack took one penny out of his 10 cents to take the church with him so that he could tithe. Years later, Jack Hayford told the story that he remembers uh, in his marriage as you know, he was in the ministry for several years. and the, He remembers the first time that he ever received a paycheck of over a thousand dollars and he goes to write his tithe check and he realizes for the first time in his life this tithe is going to be a three-digit number and in that moment he just said under his breath wow god that's a lot of money and no sooner did he say it he heard the spirit speak to him jack it's still one penny out of every dime and it just settled in his heart that for the rest of his life, he would go on to continue to just trust God in the area of his finances and to put God first in the tithe. Let, now let me say some practical things to you about this. First of all, there's no good time to start tithing. If you're feeling that way, let me just affirm you in that feeling. Probably you felt the same way about having children though, right? Like you're never ready. Amen. There's, no, there's no good time to start tithing. Just settle it in your heart and trust God. Now let me say this. Tithing is a principle of financial stewardship. 
It's the principle of financial stewardship, which means just figure out what, what, what 10% of your gross income is, of all that, all that God blesses you with, all that comes to you, and, and then just make out, make out the check or, or fill out the online, however you do it, but just make up your mind to do it. But understand this, and please hear this. I don't hear this said in the church too often, but tithing is not going to fix all your money problems. Tithing is step one of financial stewardship. What I mean is, there, there are people that, 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 not only do they not know where the first 10% goes, they don't know where their money goes. And, and maybe you've even said that. I don't, what happened to the money? I don't know where my money went. Tithing is step one of telling your money where to go. When I tithe, I'm saying, you know what? Here's how much money I have. I'm taking the first 10% and I am giving it to God. I'm going to honor his word. I'm going to trust his promises for my life. But listen, tithing the first 10% does not make up for stupidity with the other 90%. Okay? I actually, I, I've heard preachers say before to people, look, if you don't have, if you don't have the money to give, just, you know, put it on a credit card and trust God by faith. Can I tell you, that is the dumbest advice you could ever give somebody. Are we talking about financial stewardship? I mean, that's the dumbest advice to say, look, if you can't afford to give, just give somebody else's money that you don't own anyway. And, and think that God is going to honor that. Now, listen, now I know there's some people that they do use a credit card to, to pay their tithe and maybe you pay off the balance every month and you're getting cash back or kickback incentives, free tickets. Hey, work the system by all means. But don't spend money you don't have and ask God to honor that. I'm talking about God establishing every area of our life. And when we say, God, I'm going to tithe, we're taking the first step of saying, okay, God, I'm going to honor you with my finances. But after you've decided where that 10% is going to go, Keep the pencil in your hand and figure out where the other 90% is going to go. Figure out where it's going. The Bible says in, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. You've probably heard this verse quoted in church a bunch. It says, start a child off in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn from it. Isn't that a great verse? I've heard parents pray that, you know, when, when kids kind of grow up and maybe they start rebelling and turning away. We, we cling to the altar with that one and say, God, you said in your word, train a child up in the way that they'll go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I've got to be honest, that's a great verse, even in that application. But can I give you the context of that verse? Because a lot of times we just hear that verse by itself. How are we supposed to train up our children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it? The next verse says, the rich rule over the poor, and they bar the borrower is slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. Now listen to this next verse. The generous will themselves be blessed. For they share their food with the poor. He's talking about training our kids up in the way that they should go. He's talking about learning how to handle our money. He's talking about financial stewardship. 
It's talking about the, the promise that they're going to go right. It's because they're, they're generous. They're not going to be slave to the lender. They're not going to be indebted and lose their house and lose their car. No, you raise them right. They're going to be generous. Giving to God is about the heart before it's about what's in your hand. I want to pray for you today. And I want to just encourage you, as you're hearing this message today, know this, whether it has to do with your finances, whether it has to do with developing the spiritual discipline of Bible study and prayer and devotion, whatever it is, know this, whenever you take a step of intentionality towards God's best for your life, the enemy hates that. <laughs> so let me just go ahead and give you the spoiler. You can expect the enemy... To get mad and come against you when you make up your mind to steward your resources along with all of your life towards the plan and purpose of God. He will come against you. But we have the promises of God. They are yes and they are amen in Christ Jesus. Listen, I don't know if I said this earlier in the service or not. I hope I did. I don't look at your giving. I don't know what individuals give. Let me just say this today. If you never give a dime to this church, you will always be welcome here to worship God, to serve God, to seek God. Your giving is going to remain between you and the Lord. We have committed to that. So I want you to know that. But I also want you to know that God has a plan for your life. And our prayer for this whole year has been that God would establish us in his perfect will, in his perfect plan. And his plan includes your finances. I believe it's God's will for every Christian to tithe. Tithing is a stewardship test. Tithing causes your faith to grow. I said this at the beginning. I'll say it again now. God doesn't need much to do much. God never asks us or holds us accountable for more than what he's already blessed us with. Here, here's, my, here's the core conviction. God wants you to be free. See, next Sunday, we're going to end this series, and I'm going I'm to zoom out a little bit. I'm not going to talk about money specifically. I want to talk about the bigger picture. But for some of you, you can't get to the bigger picture because the borrower is slave to the lender, and you, you've been shackled by poor stewardship of your finances. God cares about your purpose more than your purse. He cares about your heart more than your wallet. God wants you to be free to do everything he's called you to do, to be who he's called you to be, so that one day when you stand before him, he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now 
I'm going to let you rule over much. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this room. And I want to pray God's blessing and specifically in this area of your finances. But maybe you're here today and your life isn't surrendered to Jesus. Can I just encourage you right where you stand to, to make an altar in your heart before the Lord? If you're far from God, if you're not serving God, listen, you, can, you can't buy his favor. Don't send me an offering if that's going to appease your conscience. Please. God forbid we do anything that would appease the conscience of man when the Holy Spirit's trying to bring conviction. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now about the priorities of your life, open yourself up to that. Receive that. Allow Him to work in you. Allow His wisdom to become your wisdom, to lead you into freedom. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. Lord, I pray for the one here today that may, maybe has been struggling to trust you with their life. Maybe it's their finances. Maybe it's not. Maybe they were wounded in the past. Maybe they're, they're skeptical about eternity or creation. Whatever it might be, Lord, if there's anyone that's here in this moment that is hesitant to just fully trust in you, God, give them a revelation of who you are. Lord, help them to have the faith to believe in this moment. That our Savior Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. And that if we'll put faith in you today, God, you will begin to lead us and establish our steps and teach us how to live a Spirit-empowered life. Thank you, God, that today you're calling us to freedom in Christ Jesus. We hear your word, God. Give us faith to believe it as we walk it out this week and in the days to come. God, thank you that even now you're positioning us as your people for a greater impact. God, find us faithful. Find us faithful in every area of our lives. In the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen. Can we say amen to that today?